is never boring. I get to do all kinds of different things, right? Meet with families, meet with schools, provide training, take training, drive places. I get to do all that kind of stuff. And I get to see the shifts that people experience when they're provided with information around brain function and FASD. And when that shift happens, it's all—it's magical to me. I can see it happen on people's faces, and it changes things. It can change the whole conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pop Fast Podcast Series FASD through a variety of lenses. Today, we are going to be connecting via phone call with Dina Swan. Dina is an FASD key worker in the Okanagan who will share with us about this essential role. As an educator, we will learn why it's important to know what a key worker is and how they might be able to help support the work that we do in the classroom. So uh, without further ado, thank you so much, Dina, for joining us. And uh, I wonder, can we start with uh, maybe describing what is a key worker? Um, Sure. So a one-sentence answer to that is the role (laughs) of the FASD key worker is to support caregivers in understanding FASD by providing information, support, and advocacy specific to the needs of each family. Um, So to unpack that a little bit, uh, one of the biggest differences I have found in the FASD key worker program is my job, the way I view my job, is to support the caregivers. So that's the parents and that can be as loosely or tightly defined as we want it to be. So where I work, parents can be you know, biological parents, adoptive parents, foster parents, extended family member parents, anybody, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, anybody who kind of steps forward and says we're caring for a child with FASD or a child that we suspect has FASD. So I would imagine school is probably a big part of the supports you provide those families. What would that support potentially look like? Yes, definitely. Um, You know, talking with parents and caregivers about their kids' school is a big part of that conversation. Um, You know, parents worry when their kids are struggling at school. Parents are pleased when their kids are successful at school and people kind of fall all along the way on that continuum. Um, So conversations as a key worker can be very different depending on where the family's at. So we would work with any, you know, anybody that has, you know, where their kids have a diagnosis of FASD or where we would suspect that they would qualify for a diagnosis if they went through an assessment. So assessment is not required to receive support. So the kids don't need to have an FASD diagnosis. It needs to be strongly suspected. And of course, FASD is complicated. We're talking about alcohol and pregnancy and babies and families fall along a a large continuum in terms of where they're at. Um, Some of them may be simply, you know, looking for something to help their kids. Some of them may be already asking questions about FASD. Um, So depending, really, the key worker our job is to meet the families where they're at. Um, so if those conversations haven't happened about FASD, we can pick up some of those conversations with the family. Um, and certainly once an assessment has been done, 
then we have better tools in our toolbox both to help the family and the school right so me i i do i make it a point of my practice i don't attend school meetings without the caregiver or the parent so i don't become the proxy mm-hmm. advocator um but i work with the the parents or the caregivers to understand school language around ieps and funding categories and um, allocation and all those type of things so that if we attend a school meeting together there's the sense that you know the more of a sense that everybody can be on the same page um, a lot of the parents that we work with have had their own experience well most of the parents we work with have had their own experiences with schools and teachers and educators and that may have been a very positive experience or it may have been lots of different things so sometimes the the parents in the families we work with have previous struggles with school that sometimes show up in the present so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes uh working with schools is a big part of what we do um again in my practice i don't do that without the parents so that can be everything from attending an iep meeting to um uh, you know, assisting the school during IEP meetings to come up with strategies or things that could be done um, to assist uh, and helping schools understand kind of the diagnostic uh, information that comes through the assessments. Um, so, yeah, it can be very collaborative for sure. Nice. And would you have you ever had an educator contact you if they are um, potentially looking for a little bit more of an idea about the student that they're teaching um, or do they contact in your experience do they contact the parents and then the parents sometimes would uh, have you as another support that could contact the school um, it can really go both ways and a whole bunch of different other ways so yeah. <laughs> um, often you know most often what I do as a key worker is work directly with the families of kids Um, Sometimes those families are unwilling or unable to participate in key worker service. I am very willing to have, you know, general conversations about FASD with teachers and school staff. I struggle sometimes, like, so I wouldn't come in and do observations, right? Um, I wouldn't, you know, talk specifically about that child without the caregiver's consent and permission. However, I'm very willing to have those um, general conversations about FASD um, and also, you know, talk about, you know, the great program that POTFAST is, right? Like the POTFAST district partner um, and that there may in fact be resources for teachers within Mm -hmm. the school system that they may be aware of or may not be aware of. So, Dina, what does a typical day look like for an FASD key worker? Um, a big part of the work of key workers is kind of outreach-based. So I spend quite a bit of time in my car traveling the roads of the South Okanagan. Um, so lots of outreach, lots of time in my car. Most of the time when I'm with families, we're sitting around the kitchen table having conversations about kids. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what can be done at home, uh, what can be done in the community um, to improve outcomes for these folks and make make the fit better. Um, I do uh, sometimes workshops or education, that type of thing, um, uh, arrange trainings, um, 
connect families to other resources in the community. Um, increasingly recognize I am one person and mm -hmm. there's a lot of programs and supports available to some families that don't come through me, but helping them be aware of those supports and connect with those supports um, is a big part of the job as well. Um, and really, uh, you know, kind of wearing the FASD lens wherever I am. So if I'm in a school, kind of, you know, ensuring that the FASD lens is present, if I'm in a home, if I'm in a if community setting, um, just kind of always being the voice of FASD. Yeah. And um, what do you think in your experience of working with the kids and working with their families, um, what do you think is really important for educators to know? It's a, it's a loaded question. I, I, came, I came to three. I came to three. I concluded with three kind of points. So, awesome. and these are across the board, right? Yeah. These yeah. are not specific to educators and schools and, you know, hats off to teachers every day. Uh, I am not a teacher. I simply do not have the patience required to do it. <laughs> um, so, number one thing for anyone, FASD is most often an invisible brain-based disability with behavioral symptoms, right? I'm using air quotes on my mm -hmm. end. Um, invisible disabilities are trickier because we don't see them coming, right? Someone in our space who's in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. we don't even have to talk to them. We have an idea that they have difficulty with um, walking or movement in some way. And being the kind-hearted people that we are, we automatically accommodate or have come to learn how to accommodate visible, visible disabilities with all kinds of things. We are still learning to recognize invisible disabilities for what they are and not get caught up in the behavior, right? So kind of that what what is brewing and stewing underneath the behavior that we might be able to put things into place so that that works better and we're then we're going to see a decrease in behavior um so fasd being an invisible brain-based disability is the number one thing to remember and know um two fasd key workers are here to help right and one of the most appealing parts of my job and like i said i've been at it for 11 years clearly it's challenging in many ways and interesting enough to keep me in it um we can be as flexible pretty much as our agency will allow us to be right so the fasd key worker program when it was designed was designed just loosely enough to give key workers the ability to respond to community needs right and community needs may be very different Right, depending on a whole bunch of different things. And as key workers, we're here to help. If you have an idea or a question, run us run it by us. Like there's all kinds of crazy things we've done as key workers, right? You you know, set up this or arrange that or help this parent get to that workshop. Hey, we're going to the same training. Yeah, you can come with us, right? So mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things that key workers are willing and able to do. Um and the third point is, of course, no magic wands in the world of FASD, including FASD key workers. We do not have the ability to make a family do anything. Um, so all we can do is kind of coach and guide, support, suggest, encourage, all those type of things. 
So would you say that first step would be for the school or the educator um, who knows that there's been that relationship between that key worker, FASD key worker, and that family um, to the first step would be to contact that key worker and just to say, hey, you know, we're having this IEP meeting. Um, it's on this such and such date. Uh, it would be great if you could join. Is that kind yeah, of... Yeah, I think invitations are awesome, right? Yeah. If, you know, when I receive an invitation like that, my first call is always to the caregiver. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, do you actually have a meeting? Are you aware you have a meeting? Are you fine with me being there, given mm -hmm. that we work together, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've also had it work the other way where perhaps a family is reluctant or uneasy to call me themselves, but the school or a school staff person has a really strong relationship with the family that allows the family to attend a meeting at the school where I could be invited. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. And, you know, kind of have that 10-minute kind of meet and greet so that families have a face, they get a sense of, you know, maybe how I talk or that it's easy to talk to me or, you know, I'm not judgmental or those type of things, and it might make it more likely for them to be able to receive support. So it can really go both ways where I'm already involved in the family and an educator invites me mm -hmm. or I'm not involved in a family and an educator invites me, again, with the family's consent right. um, and, you know, kind of broker that relationship in that way. All right, Dina, I was wondering if you could share an example of how your role as a key worker impacted a family and maybe what that looked like. Sure, um, I'd love to. Um, I like celebrating successes for sure. Um, so I, to start, sometimes successes in the FASD world are measured in small increments. Um, this is a bit of a story. I've had a long-standing relationship with a grandma raising her grandson. Um, recently, the grandson was in line to have another assessment done. Grandma and grandson needed help getting to Kelowna. So I was able to help by providing transportation to Kelowna for the child and the grandma for his assessment day. And also practical support along the way, really just helping uh, calm nerves. I'm the driver, so I kind of take on the driving and the parking and the getting to places so grandma doesn't have to worry about that um, in the hopes that she can just really focus on the child. Um, so the assessment occurs, transportation back, of course, make sure everybody gets home, blah, blah, blah. Um, then about two weeks later, I was able to attend the feedback session with grandma. So mm -hmm. after an assessment's done, um, the parent, caregiver, grandma, or whoever sits down with the assessment team and they share what they've learned during the assessment. And it's my experience that that can be a very valuable time. I was able to get it done through teleconference so that we didn't have to go to Kelowna yet again. Yeah, nice. um, so I got to sit right with grandma while she was receiving the diagnostic information. And for me, in terms of being able to support her, kind of seeing how that's landing with her, on her face um, is really helpful for me to be able to figure out what she's going to need in support. Um, after the feedback session, um, over a number of sessions between grandma and I, we go through the final report line by line. Um, so we go through it and, you know, we stop and 
talk about what that means and what that looks like, and I have visuals to help support some of the the jargony language in an assessment right, that can be right. quite overwhelming for all of us, <laughs> mm-hmm. including families. Absolutely. Um, and, and teachers. <laughs> yeah, and teachers, like, it's, they're tricky. Those are specially trained psychologists that write those reports. So yeah. it's, a, in a way, a different language. Mm-hmm. So kind of helping grandma unpack the assessment. Um, a lot of people, or some people, for some reason seem to think simply having an assessment done is going to make a difference. Um, having an assessment done makes no difference at all. It really comes down to what do we do with that assessment. Right. Yeah. Um, so that assessment may have resulted in a diagnosis that can be used to open doors to support. Um, and that assessment can also be used in terms of planning how grandma's going to respond when the child does this, right? What is this brain capable of? What can we change? What can we not change? And really helping to ground us in what we know about this child. Um, Therefore, increasing understanding of the assessment. If grandma feels confident in her understanding of the assessment, she's going to be more able and willing to participate in the collaborative conversations that ideally happen during an IEP meeting. And eventually, over time, she becomes the best advocate for her grandson because not only does she know him, you know, lived experience 24-7, she also has an understanding of the assessment and how his brain works. Um, So that, to me, is a success story, a long-winded success story. Um, No, that's great. You know, and having attended school-based team meetings with grandma, I've noticed that over time she's become, in a way, calmer mm-hmm. um, because I don't think she's as threatened by the language and the processes and she has more of an understanding of kind of how things are working. So then she can bring her best self mm-hmm. um, and be a loving, responsive advocate for her grandson. I feel as though the FASD Key Worker Program, at least in my experience, this is just myself talking um is a underutilized program uh for educators and i and i say that by i've I've taught for the past 12 years and i don't recall any iep meetings where the key worker has been present or has been kind of involved in that conversation and uh and i'm just I'm, i'm hoping that this podcast and hoping that this exposure to the FASD key worker in this FASD informed lens kind of brings about the importance of what the key worker can provide in that caregiver mm-hmm. situation. Uh, and I'm also mm-hmm. thinking about in the past of IEP meetings where parents uh, haven't been able to attend or have missed the appointment for a number of different reasons, but how valuable yeah. that uh, involving that key worker within that conversation is. Because I know when I was a resource teacher, uh, high school and middle school, um, I would contact the parents, but I wouldn't, and I don't even, I don't, I don't even know if I was aware, and this was like 2009, 2010, of the key worker program and their involvement within the families. So I don't even know if I was aware to contact the key worker to to say we're having this meeting um well and fair enough right there's lots of programs there's lots of things to keep track of right yeah the program the fasd key worker program didn't even exist until 2006 mm. 
right? So mm-hmm. historically, it's not been there forever, and we're all kind of trying to make sense of what does that mean. Another com- potential complicating factor is it is my understanding that the FASD key worker program may look different in different health regions, right? right so yeah. I work in the interior health region, and that does not include, so that ends at, like geographically ends at Williams Lake. Everything north of Williams Lake is in the northern health region. Mm. And in the past, and I don't know if this is the same now, but in the past, in the northern health regions, the FA or the Northern Health Region, the FASD key worker was much more a part of the assessment process as opposed to supporting families after the assessment process. Okay. Yeah. And of course, that decision was made at that time based on the perceived need in that area, right? So, mm-hmm. right, Northern BC, chances are fewer families before the key worker program and the assessment networks were set up they would be the least likely to travel to the coast to get assessments done. Um, So I think there was probably some rhyme or reason why that occurred. I'm not sure if that's still the same, right? So if you've worked in the northern, if as a teacher you've worked in the northern health region and the key worker doesn't do the same type of FASD or the FASD key worker there doesn't do the same FASD key worker work that I do, it can be really hard to figure out. All right, so Dina, um, at the towards the end of each podcast, we have um, an educational thing that we do, and it's called Two Stars and a Wish. Do you? Ah, okay. <laughs> so Dina, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, another loaded question. Um, so Dina, what are your two stars and a wish? Uh, two stars. One. Every day I am humbled and I take my hats off to the caregivers of children, especially those with special needs, including FASD. Uh, Second star, just the hope that people can change, right? That no matter how hard things are, we can all change in small ways to make things better for somebody else. Um, And my wish, um, I have a lot of them. I don't know that I got a box of a million dollars and I could spend it on uh, supporting caregivers in my region by having great retreats and respite options available. Might as well dream big. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Those are great. Those are fantastic. Um, so, Dina, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, share with us um, the role of the key FASD key worker, um, your experiences with families as and caregivers, uh, your connections that uh, you've had with the education system and with educators and, and ideas of how educators can involve FASD key workers to help support that family and to help support that child in their classroom and uh, it's been uh, for me I've I've learned a lot and so I'm hoping that for the listeners that they can come away with this uh, a better idea and appreciation for some of the support such as the FASD key worker that can help support their kids in their classroom.